0: The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org.
1: Talks are not usually so much talks as more of a conversation. So I have three topics that I want to cover and we'll kind of cover one and chat about it and then cover another one and chat about it. So the first... um, topic that i want to cover is actually some emotion theory and there's a researcher named paul ekman and he's studied emotions all over the world so in you know very modern technical cultures all the way to cultures like papua new guinea that don't really have access to tv radio internet etc and basically what he's found is that there are um, seven universal emotions and I kind of think of them like the seven dwarfs and I think of them like the seven dwarfs mostly because I can usually name five out of seven but I think I'll get them all. So um, happiness, sadness, anger, fear, surprise, contempt, and disgust. And those Each of those emotions has a survival purpose and each of those emotions has a natural time course in our body and they each actually have a very specific detailed facial expression and a physical expression. So we're going to try it now. So just raise your eyebrows and make your face into an O and what emotion do you guess that is? surprise and I gave you two instructions right raise your eyebrows and make your mouth into an O there's many more um, instructions for the complete facial expression and yet we can still figure out what it is with just two instructions and we can kind of feel it in our body so now with your cheeks pull the corners of your mouth down towards your ears so what's that Sadness yeah, and what do you can you feel that sense in your body a? Little you can say no you don't have to say yes (laughs) so absolutely not and How about if you pull the corners of your mouth up towards your ears? What's that? Happiness and can you feel it in your body? Can you feel a slight change in your body so um? Dr. Ekman's still researching, and he may add to the list, we may have more dwarves, but um, it's helpful to know that there are seven emotions. But the main thing I want you to know about emotions is that he's also found that most emotions have a time course, and it looks like a basic bell curve. So like, in their pure form, emotions tend to rise and peak and fall away and that's kind of how they normally behave. And at the very top of the time curve is something called the refractory period. And in the refractory period, we are in our lizard brains. We're in fight, flight, or freeze. We can't usually take someone else's perspective. We can't problem solve. We're not very creative. We're not very compassionate. We're in survival mode. So when we're in the refractory mode, um, usually the best we can do is, um, as my son says, shut up and sit there, which is a skill he mastered in a very difficult carpool. But it's like when, when we know we're in the refractory period, like the best often we can do is to hold our tongue. But how mindfulness can help us is if we're paying attention, we can often notice the very beginning of the curve and we can say,
2: hmm,
1: okay, I'm starting to get angry. And you know, we here we can sometimes take a step back and reset. Not always, but sometimes. And so being aware with kindness and curiosity in this moment gives us some choices. So that's for us. But now let's think about life in a family. In a family, do we, are we the only wave that's occurring in a family? No. So based on however many family members you have, there are that many potential waves happening in the kitchen at 5 p.m., And often we can have more than one wave in our own body. We can be angry and afraid, or we can be angry and sad. So it's not just one wave that's happening at a time. So Dr. Ekman doesn't really talk about this. This is my own little riff on Dr. Ekman's thing. But um, in physics, there's a thing called wave theory. And you may remember back to like eighth or ninth grade where you made waves in a you know, ripples in a water to see what would happen. But when two waves combine, you get a huge wave, okay? When a wave combines with a trough, you get smooth waters. So when you think about that in terms of your family, what does that bring up? And how does this apply to mindfulness and mindfulness within our families and particularly in terms of mindfulness and parenting? What do you think? Or what questions do you have? The trough is like if you were to be, um, so let's say, you have a child who is in the middle of a meltdown. So they're up here in the refractory period. If you are also completely agitated and just wanting the meltdown to stop, which is totally natural, then you're also, your wave is combining. But if you're just like, ah, okay, total meltdown, I see it, I'm going to, I can't stop it. I can't change it. This is the wave. But I'm not going to add my wave to it. That would be you being a trough so that it would kind of neutralize it. So that you're not both together basically creating a tsunami of emotion. (laughs) So I'm sure you all know both places, right? The place where someone in the family has a big wave and someone else in the family is able to just observe it and not get caught up in it. And those other moments that we all have where someone in the family has a big wave and we jump right in and add our big wave to their wave and then we have an even bigger wave. So does that make sense? Do people have examples or questions or like how, how might it work, those kinds of things?
2: I'm going to invite people to pass the mic, if you will. We're we're recording it so that other parents who couldn't be here could hear. So if you'll pass the mic and hold it kind of pointed at your mouth and close, it'll record
0: you. Um,
3: Yes, this is very interesting. Thank you. I wanted to ask about is there an average time that a wave lasts? If they've studied this and they can see that it, it you know, there's a time when it's it's going up, increasing, and then there's a, a time when it also decreases. Is there an average time span? Well, I think actually, I don't know the
1: exact time, but I think in nature, emotions are made to be very quick and kind of the point of Dr. Ekman is they're actually made to be automatic because they're um, they're for our survival. So in nature, like when When an animal is thwarted in trying to get something it wants, it gets angry and it acts, and the emotion dissipates. But the difficulty for us in modern life is that the things that we feel thwarted by, um, we can feel that they're persisting, and so then our time course can be off. So we're, we're not in our natural environment where they kind of go up and down in their in their kind of typical natural rhythm, at least in our modern culture. And it's interesting because when I teach to kids and to teenagers, I actually have them draw their waves and um, they don't, you know, I say the typical wave looks like this, but they draw all sorts of things. So they draw like a complete flat line and then a super jagged spike or like a thing that's going like this and then really spiky all the way across like for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know that like, I think theoretically it's helpful to know like the average time is X, but I think what's more important for us with ourselves and with our kids is to, to know that waves come and waves go and to kind of look and go... Yeah, you know, he's still in the refractory period. Like, this isn't a good time to have that chat. Um, And I'm going to wait till the wave passes. Thank you. What else?
4: I was just going to say that I think it's um, healthy to experiment with being both of those, sometimes the trough and sometimes the wave. Um, I know that in my family, if someone is the trough too long, then they become the tsunami later. Um, And usually people fall into their, I don't know if you want to call it, innate roles or just what they feel most comfortable with. And I've found that over the years, especially in my marriage, if I've learned to kind of step back some time and experiment with that role. Um, And I guess another way of looking at it is some people um, over-communicate and some people under-communicate. And sometimes the person that communicates less needs to communicate more and sometimes vice versa. And so I just think it's important to experiment with the different roles, even if it feels uncomfortable. Um, And then you might learn something or you might like something and you might learn when you need to be one or the other.
1: Right, so um, it's interesting because like this is I have a section in my book on emotions and part of it is this but then another part is basically what you're saying about we all have what I would say is our habitual ways Mm -hmm. of expressing or not expressing emotions Mm -hmm. and so there's a continuum right from suppressing to being overwhelmed and flooded by an emotion and I don't want to imply that one's better or worse, right or wrong, but there's this continuum and actually what we want to be able to do is to slide along the continuum as the moment requires. Like there there are moments where it's very appropriate and useful and instructive to be angry. And you know, with hopefully with some wisdom and some clarity thrown in there, not just, you know, angry for angry's sake. But, you know, to be, to be clear and precise about something. So it's not like we, the goal is to be flat or even. The other thing I say um, to kids and to parents is we want to be able to have our feelings, to be fully aware of what we're feeling, without our feelings having us. So without our feelings being in control of us. So it's like these waves are going to happen. They're natural. But it's how we relate to them that matters. So you know, I don't wanna give the sense that a emotion is wrong or that we should be flat and even. That's not at all what I'm implying. I'm implying that life as human being means that we have emotional waves and there are more and less skillful ways to relate to them. So that's a very good point. What else? Questions, comments? You guys were so efficient.
3: <laughs> uh, so, I've been consuming a lot of Brene Brown lately and become more mindful of shame when I see it. You didn't list it as one of the seven emotions. How do you think about shame?
1: Um, it's a good question. I mean, I certainly have it. I mean, in terms of universal emotions, so Dr. Ekman was looking at universal emotions, and the way he did this was he took pictures. Of the facial expressions and went to these countries and said, What would you call this and what would the story be behind it? Um, the only other tiny tidbit that I have to tie to that, other than I think that shame is super common in our culture, and it's not quite directly related, but um, there was a meeting with His Holiness the Dalai Lama and a bunch of scientists. And it took them a very, very long time to explain to the Dalai Lama the concept of low self-esteem, which I think is tied to shame, and in his culture, like it really doesn't exist. Like, he couldn't quite get the Western angst that that causes. So I think in terms of Ekman's list, it maybe didn't make the list because it's not universal, that doesn't mean it doesn't cause suffering for a lot of us. So, um, yeah, I mean, and, and, you know, noticing what causes it, noticing what stories you're telling when it's present, um, noticing, and it's interesting because we'll come to this, that my third um, piece for tonight is going to be about self-compassion, so, which is kind of an antidote to shame. Um but, you know, noticing when we get into it I mean often shame for me anyway, shame things are I should have or I shouldn't have or and you know, so all that thinking and storytelling that we do can lead to that. So and so we'll come back to it a little bit with self compassion. What else? waves, you know, and you might want to take a minute and think about, you know, what is your own, um, you know, and usually the most, the, the most problematic is usually anger. So, you know, what does your own anger wave look like um, in terms of time course, like, are you burbling and burbling and then you spike, or what does that look like? What, it, what is your spouse or your partner's? wave look like? What do your children's wave look like? Um, Because, you know, just being, like, so much at least for me of mindfulness is just being, you know, being able to be with what is, like, oh, wow, I'm really angry now, or oh, wow, my 14-year-old is really angry right now, you know, and just just seeing it clearly gives us so much more possibility you know and remembering that it will pass (laughs) also definitely helps other comments or questions like when you think about life over the past week can you see can you see your your wave interactions with your family can you see things really built up or where you had a moment of clarity and calm and like they could have built up, but it didn't. Some nodding heads. Okay. So the next piece of the talk, if I can find my missing phone, which maybe I put in my pocket, cause I had a poem I was gonna read. Oh, there so. it is. So I was gonna read a poem and this I will tie this in to, um, to the wave thing in a minute. And the poem is called Autobiography in Five Short Chapters. And the author is Portia Nelson. So chapter one. I walk down the street. There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I fall in. I'm lost. I'm helpless. It isn't my fault. It takes me forever to find a way out. Chapter two, I walk down the same street. There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I pretend I don't see it. I fall in again. I can't believe I'm in the same place, but it isn't my fault, and it still takes me a long time to get out. Chapter three, I walk down the same street. There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I see it is there. I still fall in. It's a habit. My eyes are open. I know where I am. It's my fault. I get out immediately. Chapter four, I walk down the same street. There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I walk around it. Chapter five, I walk down another street. So when I teach to kids basically about third grade and up, or when I'm working with a child or a family in my office, um, I very often read that poem. And we talk about holes, like what are, for kids, what are family holes, what are school holes, what are friendship holes. So, um, and in terms of family, you know, family holes are what are, to me, those, those fights that you, or disagreements or upsets that you get in, like, over and over and over again. So can everybody think of at least one? Is anybody stumped for one really? You can raise your hand. Then you can come up and talk, but So, like what are some family, what are some family holes? <laughs>
5: Did somebody else have there? I could start. I have um, my daughter, my oldest daughter, she'll come in and um, she'll be in a bad mood. She's, her mood's change very quickly. And um, she'll just come in and I'll be with my other daughter. And it just completely permeates the whole environment. And I have a hard time. I try and keep quiet, and I usually do. But I get angry with it, because, with her mood, because it does completely change the atmosphere. At home. And um, yeah, it's hard to just stay with it and stay with my own emotion and just let her be.
1: And how old is your oldest one? Uh, she's 15. Okay. So I have a 14-year-old daughter, so I know. <laughs> yes. Um, so it, it's a great example. And the interesting thing is um, in the poem, right, it's, again, it's one person And it's her hole. But in families, we can push other people into holes. We can feel that we are being pushed into holes. We can fall into holes all by ourselves and then kind of drag our family members down in. Um, And so the interesting thing for you is she's already kind of in her own hole when she comes in. And you know, because it happens frequently, it's like this is a street with a hole. So, um, holes. <laughs> right, and so the question is, like, what, what could you do differently? And we may end up pulling in one more concept that I wasn't necessarily planning on talking about, but, um, like, what would be a different street for you?
5: I have tried engaging her and asking her what happened with her day, and um, it depends on her If she responds and is willing to share Or if she just wants to have her bad mood And storm out of the room So Right,
1: so um, another Another kind of common teaching is Suffering equals pain times resistance So I don't know how many of you have heard that one Okay, so It's painful when our children are grumpy and moody and ornery. And there is some inherent pain in that, just just in the way it is. But then what we put on top of it, like, it was so nice in here, and I wish it were otherwise, and why can't she just snap out of it, and blah, 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 that's your resistance, And so, if you were to say, like, on a scale of 1 to 10, how painful it is when your daughter comes in and is grumpy, like, on a scale from 1 to 10, what would you say the pain of that is?
5: Um, For me, probably an 8, because I want to fix it. I want her to be happy.
1: Okay. Okay. So I'm going to do the same thing with you that I would do with kids, just so that you guys know that it works with kids as well. So I would also say to the kid, like, okay, I believe you, maybe it's an 8. But, like, just for me, a 10 is, like, if someone I loved was in the hospital or my house burnt down. So if it's still an 8, totally fine. And if you want to adjust, fine. But just to give you a sense of kind of how I make the scale. Okay. Um, Maybe six and a half. Okay, great. And then all the stuff you put on top, your resistance, she shouldn't feel this way, or I should know how to fix it, and this is going back, you, you can hear the shoulds in here, right? We're going back to shame a little bit. Um, or I just wish she'd knock it off, or, you know, all those normal things that we think, or it's whatever happened with her ex-best friend and the, and the Instagram... Like, it's not that big a deal. She should just get over it. Like, all that internal mom noise on a scale of 1 to 10 with, like, 1 being totally no big deal and 10, I cannot stand this anymore, how much resistance is it? For me? Yeah. Um, That probably is close to an 8. Okay, so... Just to make my math easy, we're going to go seven times eight is 56. So your suffering score in that moment is 56. Now, you don't have much as we all wish we did. You do not have any control over her, even though we'd like to think so. And we've tried everything we know and blah, blah, blah. What you do have some choice about is the resistance piece. So, what could you say to yourself? And this is creating a different street for you. What could you say to yourself that might represent a different resistance score?
5: Just knowing that it's going to end and it's going right. to pass.
1: Like so, yeah. So this will pass, and even this will pass. Um, what what score would you give? What resistance score would you give that? To being able to say that to myself? Is yeah. That... Like what would that what would that represent as a resistance score?
5: I would be able to say it fairly easily. Right. But so. so
1: then the number in terms of resistance, so your original resistance of, oh, I just wish she'd knock it off, blah, 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 was an eight. Okay. So what would that, like this will pass, what is that resistance? Two. Right. So two times seven is 14. Fourteen. So... I think a lot of times, and there are for sure times, and I can tell you stories from families, and I probably will tell you a story from one family, where the whole family needs to or chooses to take a different street, but there's a lot of times where the different street is completely internal, and it's not about what she's gonna do or how she's gonna be it's like i'm gonna and you know the other thing that came to mind for me is like, Oh wow. She's really in a bad mood. Like just accepting what's absolutely so. And it's like, for me, when I say that internally, it's also kind of a resistance score of a, of a two. But the other thing that happened with that one that I noticed, cause it just kind of came up was there's also a, a, a certain amount of compassion that flows from that. It's like, wow, she's really in a bad mood. And You know, so then you might not say anything, or you might say, you know, looks like you had a really rough day. Do you want a cup of tea? Um, But that whole energy that goes into, oh, she just ruined the mood, and can I fix it? All of that kind of dissipates. So let me tell you a, a completely kind of different, different street story. So I was working with a family with three boys, and the mom came really because she was truly at her wits' end. Um, and the boys were um, fighting with each other very persistently. And I mean, getting physical in a way that the mom was actually concerned that someone was going to be harmed. And the mom was really stressed. And kind of like your story alluded to a little bit, the dad was kind of. Removed, So he was this flat line, but it wasn't really this flat wave, but it wasn't helping the whole family system that he was kind of, he was taking this very calm, like stand back position, but it wasn't serving the family. Like he, he needed to be a slightly bigger or different kind of wave, But, um, so we, I read the whole poem and we talked about what the holes are and, um, each boy talked about what their different streets could be, and the main thing that was happening was when a, when any boy was getting bored, frustrated, irritated, aggravated with his homework, when he got to like a certain boiling point, rather than letting off steam some other way, he would go and pester his brother. And the brothers were both almost at their boiling points. And so all it took was like one little poke and then everybody was at it and it was complete chaos. So each boy came up with things that they could do on their own, like go outside and shoot hoops or talk to their mom or get something to eat or whatever it was. But then the other big part of the different street is that the mom who had not been um, like setting limits just basically said anytime there's a fight – both people who participate, or three, if all three boys were participating, but usually it was some set of two, are going to lose spending money. So if you, if one of the boys was irritated and bored and attempted to bother someone, he was responsible for that piece. But if the boy who got bothered reciprocated, he was responsible for that piece. And it took the whole, it shifted the whole dynamic. But that's one where it wasn't an internal different street. It was like the, I don't know, the construction crew had to come in and like pave over the street, and they really need to start over. So I don't want to give the sense that it's always just an internal adjustment. And um, I think uh, I think Carla Reasich, who teaches or has taught in the children's program, texted me on the way here, and I think she meant to be here, but um, she once, when I read this poem, said, like, you know, sometimes I can't quite find the different street, but then I just, like, go sit on the sidewalk. I'm not going to go in the hole. I'm going to sit down till I can figure it out. Like, sometimes the best we can do is just not do the same old thing. And the other thing I want to say is humor goes a long, long way. Like, when you're stuck Do the silliest, dorkiest, ridiculous, most opposite thing of what you would have done. So like if you would have gotten totally cranky with your daughter, just, you know, go over the top, bring her cookies and tea and kiss her on the head till she just goes, mom, go away. You know, just because it's, it's different than what you would have normally done. And if you would have normally brought her cookies and tea and whatever, then, You know, go out for a run or something. But switch, I mean, what I'm saying is we, the families get into these grooves and these patterns. And so almost anything you can do to switch it up is helpful. Like if you just don't play your role, the whole scene has to change if you don't do what you normally do. Other comments or questions?
5: Um. So I have kind of learned about mindfulness, you know, more recently and, um, you know, benefited a lot from stepping back and, you know, just even meditating is something I never did before and things like that. And um, so I really wish I'd had uh, some of this understanding a lot earlier. And now I have two young boys and I was wondering what your recommendations are to... Start helping them already have some of these tools to step back and to take a different street. And right. like, how do
1: you lay the foundation when they're little? Well, I would say a couple of things. The first thing is if you can make it, and it's Sundays. When are I mean, when are you doing? How old are your kids?
5: Uh, five and seven.
1: Okay, so.
2: On the first Sunday of each month from 11.15 to noon, um, I host a program with Carla Rayosic, whom she mentioned, um, for children, five to seven, and their parents. And so you can come and we, everything we do from little brief mindfulness exercises to even the games we play, if we do art, if we do anything, it's all geared towards learning those skills of noticing what's going on, and being able to access that and work with yourself, even at the tiniest age.
1: And Liz, do you want to say something about um, the tween and the teen programs as Um, well? Yeah,
2: thank you. We also have a program for third to fifth graders, one for middle schoolers, and one for teens. So on different Sundays of the month, there are lots of opportunities to bring kids of different ages in the older programs, the kids come, the parents drop them off, and the parents go away, naturally. But in the younger programs, they support them. Um, also, Amy you know, alluded to the compact discs that she has, and she mentioned earlier that you can now download as iTunes. The meditations that she has for 4- to 12-year-olds, and also for teens now, right, are extremely helpful. They're the ones for younger kids. I've learned a lot from myself. They're great for adults, too. They're brief they're creative and the kids really get into them so
1: yeah and so just to build on that for a minute like um and I'll build on both pieces so a lot of people just build it into their bedtime routine so they'll listen at least when they first get the CD they'll listen kind of one practice a week for whatever it is, 12 weeks, 12 different practices, and then you'll really find the practices that your kids gravitate towards, and then you may just use those. If you do it enough and it becomes part of your family routine, they can, they can lead the practices. Um, there's another great resource um, from Betsy Rose, Called um, a CD called "Calm Down Boogie," which I think you can also get on iTunes because she does it through the same distributor, and it's music. So um, often the music will make um, make things stick in a way that the spoken thing won't. Having said that, I think if kids listen to it, you know, repetitively, then it is. There inside of them and then you also have a common vocabulary other things are you can go home and tomorrow You can share about waves and different streets and you can say like in a calm moment like uh, What what are some of our family holes and they know they know for sure and it's like okay in this calm moment What might what might we be able to do differently? What do you want to try so that we don't keep falling in that particular hole and then um just because Liz said, actually, my first review ever on Amazon for my children's CD was from an adult woman with no children. And she said, I love this CD. It's loaded on my phone. It's loaded on my computer at work. I listen to it before I go um, in to, like, talk to my boss because they are made, they are made to be really powerful, meaningful mindfulness practices but they're also very short and sweet and so she liked the fact that they were short and sweet and the research that I did at Stanford with child parent pairs showed that w- the way the child parent class is set up is that the children and the parents um, come to class together they do the same practices they have the same workbook etc and the research on the parents which unfortunately never got published but at least I know this part is that um, the parents got almost as much benefit as taking an eight-week MBSR course. Even though they were only coming for an hour and a half, they were doing five minutes of practice with their kids a day, and there was no all-day session, It it that practicing with their kids... Um, and building it into the family made a really big difference. So they got benefit and they particularly benefited in terms of what's called parenting self-efficacy, which means how effective they felt they were as a parent. So, um, you know, there's a lot of advantage. And the, um, I just remembered there's the classes here. And for those of you who are local and can manage it, I'm also, I'm teaching a class um, at Oak Elementary School Um, A class for children only from 3 to 4, which most of you, if your kids are in school, aren't going to get there anyway. But there's a 6 to 7, 630 to 745 class that's a child parent pairs class. And you can find it by just going to the Oak Knoll Elementary School um, after school list.
2: Also recently um, one of the folks from Mindful Schools came here and announced that they've got a certain amount of funding for schools in all different areas. Um, if you want to go to mindfulschools.org online, just or you could Google Mindful Schools, and get in touch with them, it's possible sometimes to bring the mindfulness programs into your particular school, so you could talk to them about that.
1: Yeah. And I also come to school. So the way the Okinawa school program happened was someone asked me to do it, and we set something up. So those are a bunch of options. But in terms of like what you could go home and do today, <laughs> um, taking the CD and just working through it with your kids, um, and then for sure coming to the groups here would be really helpful. What else?
5: And can you just remind me the last name is Portia of the poem? Nelson. Nelson.
1: Okay. Yeah, and it's autobiography in five short chapters.
2: You know, I've I've met with some parents who have even very small children that have started to do practices like just stopping and together taking three breaths. And incorporating that anytime they could feel the energy ramping up and that they could see disaster coming or Um, So simple things like that are picking up a pillow, each picking up a pillow and squeezing it real hard and then relaxing. So very simple practices can help.
1: Yeah.
0: Go ahead. You go and then she'll go. Okay, I just had a question. I'm not a parent, but I hope help co-facilitate a group that actually Liz used to be in charge of um, at CARA. And Mm -hmm. We have kids age 5 through 12 who've lost a parent, and um, right now we tend to have um, a lot on the younger age 5, you know, 5-ish, some of whom are pretty hyperactive or very easily distracted and can really get each other going. and. Um, there are other co-facilitators also that help out, but on nights when uh, we have 14 or 15, um, it can get pretty chaotic. And I don't know if you have any little gems for, you know, trying to keep this. So,
1: yeah, I have. <laughs> I have several gems, and part of why I'm smiling. Um, there's at least a couple reasons why I'm smiling. One is um, actually with Megan from Mindful Schools. Um, one of the first school based classes that I taught where there weren't any parents involved was at a school where the principal gave me, um, and she told me, but I didn't quite get it at the time. She gave me all her ADHD and impulse control kids, like in one group. And um, so there's that piece. I am also the mom. Of a now diagnosed um, ADHD daughter, uh, so I have you know a smile of compassion and my general feeling i 'm going to give you two things that you kind of have to balance moment by moment, so my general feeling is that most of these kids get told to sit down, shut up, and be still like all the time and it 's tremendously challenging for them so my own, and this was true well before my daughter was diagnosed. Um, my own per- personal preference is to give them as much space to be as they can without like trying to manage them. So my own internal rule is that they can do anything they want as long as it's not pulling my attention, so making it difficult for me to teach Or pulling the attention of the other kids. Now, that said, so that's one kind of far end of the spectrum I'm going to give you the other side. I let those particular kids the first time around, I made my container way too loose. And then it took me a long time to get it back. And so you know, tightening a loose container takes some skill and maybe you and I can talk about it after, but just knowing and tightening it with um, respect and compassion takes even more skill. Because we we don't want to fall into the sit down, shut up, and be still. But it's like, can you start to... First of all, you may want to start with movement. Like start every session with some movement. And when you feel the energy going up, and this is kind of what I was saying also about parenting, I think as adults, our initial reaction is to like go this way and like try and compress it. And what I found, and because it's on videotape, I, first of all, I know I did it and I know what happened. but. I had a day actually at the same school but with a different set of kids where it was like rainy and they hadn't gotten any recess and I got them after school and they were all just like Zzz. and you know internally my, my thing was like can we just you know because I want you to be honest I want to be honest with you and for you to know that yeah I think those same things like could you just please be still and can we just kind of get through the practice and oh, you guys are driving me nuts but what I chose to do is they were so wiggly. I said, wow, you guys are really wiggly. So I'm bringing my my attention and their attention to their wiggliness with no judgment, pure acceptance. And then I said, okay, so rather than trying to do this, I just accepted what's so. So ex- you know, not resisting, suffering equals pain times resistance. I wasn't resisting. I accepted what's so. So the reverse equi- of that equation is, happiness equals pain times acceptance. So I accepted that they're wiggly. And I said, we are going to wiggle for two minutes, go. And I looked at my watch and at 45 seconds, everyone, but I had three nicks in this class. So everyone, but one Nick was still, I was like, Come on guys, you have a minute and 15 seconds left. Let's go. So this is the acceptance and the humor. It's like, "Come on. Let's go. Keep wiggling." And they're all like except for one, and he wiggled probably for 2 minutes and 10 seconds. But, you know, playing with that balance, playing with what we might not do, those are those are useful things. And we can talk more about other parts, but You know, also just starting with some movement so that they have some chance to get their wiggles out is a good idea.
3: Go ahead. I I was just going to share something that's been helpful with my daughter, and it's an exercise from Thich Han's Planting Seeds called the Mind Jar. And you put um, water and some glycerin and glitter in a jar. When you shake it up, you can't see through. And if you wait, it falls to the bottom. There's a very nice book called Moody Cow Learns Mindfulness, I think, uh, and uh, an app, and I... App so she can come home and say, I'm mad because this girl did that, and because mommy broke her promise, and because, and it fills up with glitter, and then she watches it go down, and then realizes her own emotions went down too.
1: Right. And if you add breathing to that, like that they're breathing as the glitter settles, then that helps as well. Other comments or questions?
3: I think it's Moody Cow Learns Mindfulness
1: it might be Moody Cow learns to meditate but if you type in Moody Cow you'll get there (laughs) other comments or questions okay so we'll go to the last um, eh, choosing choosing I think we'll do one short practice so um, and you can keep your notebooks you can put your notebooks down you can do whatever But I think of all my practices, this is my um, favorite. And I'll kind of tie back into what we want to do. And I'll probably just say a few brief notes on self-compassion. So sitting and closing your eyes. Finding your breath in your belly. Feeling the expansion of the in-breath and the release of the out-breath. And seeing if you can rest your attention in the small space between the in-breath and the out-breath. And the other small space between the out-breath and the in-breath. And now when you're ready, shift your attention to your emotions and simply notice what you're feeling right now. And some feelings have really basic names like anger or happiness or sadness. And others have more unusual names like stormy or fiery or empty. So just noticing how you're feeling and then see if you can notice where the feeling lives in your body. So maybe it's an ache in your temples or a warmth in your chest or a tightness in your belly. And now see if you can feel how the feeling actually feels, the physical sense of the feeling. Is it heavy or light Is it still or moving? Is it big or small? Is it cool or warm? Is it soft or hard? Just getting a sense of how the feeling feels in your body. And then considering or imagining if the feeling has a color or colors. And if it doesn't, that's fine. And listening if the feeling has a sound. And then taking a moment and asking the feeling what it wants from you. And usually feelings want something simple like time or space or attention or a way to express themselves. And sometimes they actually want something that we can't give. So we can talk about that in a minute. Just taking a moment and listening to what your feeling wants, and then thanking your feeling, and taking three slow, deep breaths, and in your own time, expanding your attention to include the room. So, that practice or some variation of that practice is on both the children and the teens CD. And for children, teens, and adults, um, the intention of that practice is for us to be able to, what I say, have our feelings. So, again, be fully aware of what we're feeling without our feelings having us. And, um, you know, it's good to practice in a to be, to build your foundation in relatively peaceful moments. And um, when your kid is completely over the edge and in the refractory period, it's not necessarily the time for you to suggest feelings practice. It's time for you to do your own feeling practice. And this is a perfect tie-in to self-compassion. And just to notice, like... My kid is having a really tough time and I am having a really tough time with my kid having a tough time and parenting is tough and so in this moment I'm going to just offer my like there's not too much that I can do about my kid other than make sure they're safe and so in this moment I'm going to offer myself some kindness and um, you know just take a moment to say like Wow, this is a really tough moment, and the best thing I can do in this moment, you know, other, you know, as an antidote to shaming, like, I, if I were a good mom, I would figure out what I should do right this mem- moment. Moment, um, th- you know, the best thing I can do in this moment is say, "Wow, this is really tough. I'm doing my best, and I'm going to offer myself some kindness." So comments or questions on that. Either the having your, ch- letting, teaching your children to have their feelings, you having your feelings, or practicing, you know, kind of instant self-compassion in those moments where we might be tended to beat, beat ourselves up. Do you want the mic or you're just nodding and nodding and good looking? Sales. I'm good. I'm good. Thank you. Okay. Other topics or questions? I mean, we have a few minutes left. You know, what would you, this happened to me this week and what would you do? Um, I guess the only thing... I wanted to ask
4: was more about um, physical, like how you can physically remove yourself from holes. I really liked the image of the street and this idea of taking a different street. I, that was really working for me, but I, I was really doing the whole visual aspect <laughs> in my head. And, I, and it was working for me because I, I came up with all these scenarios where physical space becomes an issue. You're locked in the car with your child. Your teenager and that's when they choose to decide to start laying in on you or or you get into an argument in the car and you have to be somewhere so um, that can get a little tricky and then there are times when you maybe want to be the trough and you don't want to be the wave and so you walk out physically but then the person follows you Um, or my, what my teen would do. Why aren't you talking to me? I want to talk right now. Why aren't you talking (laughs) to me? And, and I'm saying, I'm not ready right now because I know that I'm getting to a, a boiling point that wouldn't be healthy. And yet she's her, her hole for her is when I don't talk, that really gets her amped up and she really wants to have that conversation when she wants to have it. Um, So anyway, so I guess I kind of went off in a different area there, but I'm saying physically, how
1: do you kind of... So my first answer is I don't... um, They're just... I'm going to start over. Mm -hmm. Um, Like the car one, Mm -hmm. honestly, unless you're like trying to catch a plane... Like, we have all these stories about, I have to be there by whatever, and we probably don't really have to be there. Like, and I know for myself, the times where I've pulled the car over and just, you know, often it's been going to school or actually going someplace my daughter wants to go. If I pull over, it's like, oh, she means it. Like, she's serious. Like, You know, it's like, I'm you can even say, I'm not going to drive with this going on because it's not safe. So until you're quiet, I'm not going to drive and pull over because often all it takes is one or two of those. And that is a completely different street than just, we're going to just keep driving because I think we absolutely need to be there, even though we probably don't like once or twice. And they're like, Wow, she's really not going to drive. And then the other thing is I don't know that it needs to be like the other one, like why aren't you talking to me? You can answer that question once. I'm not talking to you because it feels un- like I'm very likely to be unwise and unkind and that's not the mom I want to be. And I get, I get that you don't like it. And if she asks again you don't need to you don't need to talk but what she's she's trying at that point to get you into the hole and part of part of this like the dance about around the hole is like they're so distressed that having someone else be distressed with them or having someone else be more distressed is a certain kind of relief or entertainment or company or something. And so, you know, it's just like, that's not the choice. That's not the choice I'm making in this moment because I don't think it would be helpful. And then she's going to keep nudging you towards the hole and, um, it's not, I don't think it's a physical thing although I'm very fond of the bathroom personally. Um, I think it's more again this internal choice of, I'm you know, and if you go home and read the poem, then you then your family has a language. It's like you're deep in the hole, and I'm I I know I'm like teetering on the edge, and I'm doing my best not to fall in. And but if you read this in a quiet moment, then your family, I mean. I have families, and when they came to me, believe me, they were as bad or worse as anything that's going on in your homes, I promise. Um, like the three boys I told you about. I mean, like, that was, that was physically dangerous what was going on in that house. Um, and it's, a, it's like a joke in their house now. Oh, we're all in the hole. You know, let's find a rope and get out, or, you know, like, it can bring that sense of lightness and humor to what otherwise would just, you know, it's pretty messy. Um, but it's that thing of us not getting hooked. And I'm the other thing that made me smile about your story is in my house, first of all, I have two kids, and one is emotionally reactive, and the other one is like Mr. Equanimity. It takes, I mean, he has to be tired, hungry, and sick to get a rise out of him. Um, and uh, but it's almost the opposite in my house where I want to talk and my daughter's not ready. And it's like, okay, nine times out of ten, I can respect that. And then certain times it's like, no, we have to have this conversation before you go to your... Like, you cannot go to your sleepover till we have this conversation. I mean, there are certain places where you're, you are going to keep talking with her even though you'd rather not. And there are certain places... Um, where I'm going to keep talking even though she'd rather not but like a lot of times really giving that giving that reset you know and calling you know like even putting you know saying I'm going to take a time out or a time in or whatever you want to call it but it's like mommy's in time out right now <laughs> um it can be really helpful and you know you can watch cuz they will for sure test the emergency broadcast system. And like, if you say no, they'll try and they'll try and they'll try. And it's, um, it's like a Pavlovian thing where like there's a, the more intermittent it is, like the more persistent they get because it's like, well, she didn't bite last time and she didn't bite the time before that. But I know if I try one more time. So when you shift your behavior, in response to something you're, that's happening in your family, people are going to try to make it go back to the old system, and they will try hard to make it go back to the old system. So you just have to know that there's going to be a phase where your commitment to your newly resolved behavior is going to be tested. Yeah, and physical space, if you can do it, is great and it might be one of those places where you have to set also some other kind of boundary like like with the mom like to say to your daughter i i really am committed to not reacting to your behavior and so i really do need some space and if you can't give me that space then you know you can you can choose how high you want the um thing to be but Phones are always good. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, it's like, you need to, you know, and you can, you can use that if you're also giving them skills to be with their emotions. If you're just going to say, you need to like be in control of your emotions, but not give them any skills and then, you know, like punish them. I don't think that that's so great, but if you're giving them skills and understanding that it's going to take them a while to learn it but you can put parameters in place you know to say to support that learning thank you other questions we'll take one more and then we'll have a minute of sitting If there aren't any, we won't take any more. Okay, so let's just sit for one minute. And I'll be around if people want to ask, you know, private questions or whatever. So just sitting and letting all the conversation for the evening kind of fade into the background. And bring your attention again to your breath. So, I just want to take one minute and clean up that last answer because I want to make I want to make something clear so again, like we said before, um, all emotions are fine, and what we 're trying to do is to teach um, skillful ways of being aware of our internal emotional life, both as parents and for our kids, and without our emotions being in control so the Distinction I was trying to make with you is that she's allowed to feel how she feels and to be as upset as she is. Certain behaviors need parameters. And so the tricky thing is to give them space to have their feelings and give us space to have our feelings and to still say these behaviors... Um, are not you know are not choices that we're going to support in our family you're allowed to be angry you're and you know here are all your options for expressing and dealing with that but you know like foisting your anger on me that's not that's not a choice we're going to support so let's give you some other skills so I just wanted to make that part clear because it could have sounded like just don't be angry which was not what I was implying Thank you all for your kind attention, and I'll be around if people have questions.